Welcome tonight to Life Shape. Life Shape Prayer and Discipleship, a call to the nations. And if you're at home or in uh, some place of work or in a church or, you know, uh, in, in, in some other venue watching this tonight, I want you to know that tonight is one more block, block number six, but one more block in the building of a disciple's life. You know, we decided some time ago that we really needed as believers to know what we believe. It's so important to understand that faith comes from believing the same thing God believes. You have no chance of having faith if you don't have the word. Because faith is trust in the truth. And if either one of those two elements are lacking, you cannot have faith. And you, if, if you're lacking trust or lacking the truth, either one of those, you cannot have faith. We must know the truth. And the Bible tells us if we continue in his word, we will be his disciples indeed. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free, will make us free. And so, uh, you know, for years, uh, I believed, but I just didn't know what to believe. And unless you're believing what God actually meant, you know, it, it won't work for you. And so tonight we're adding a sixth thing. And uh, our life shape, prayer, and discipleship, block six, resurrection. And uh, our, our key scripture for tonight uh, on resurrection, our key scripture comes from Revelation chapter one, verse number 18. So I encourage you to get your pencil and paper out or your uh, iPhone or iPad or Android or whatever you may, you know, your, your, uh, whatever, your notepad and just keep notes tonight uh, because tonight's going to be another important life block. Hopefully not only that you'll learn, but that you'll share with someone else. Revelation, the first chapter, verse 18, our key scripture tonight in dealing with resurrection, this is what Jesus said to John the apostle when he was telling him in the book of Revelation, what would shortly come to pass. This is how Jesus describes himself. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You know, as we are building our lives, we have gone through five different blocks so far, and I know that I am the recap king. I don't know what we're going to do when we get to block number 47 or 48, if I have to go over every one of them or not. I'll probably just hit the high points. But let me just refresh you. In the event this is your first time uh, connecting with us, I encourage you to go to the website, If My People Will, If My People Will like one word, if my people will, dot com. And I encourage you to log on and download the notes from the other five lessons. But in lesson number one, let me recap really quickly. Block number one, we learn that there is only one God and Jehovah is his name. There is only one God, amen? One God. Now this might not mean a whole lot to some of you if you live in a, in a country that is, that is basically a monotheistic culture. But many people live, uh, in fact, at least a billion people in, in India alone live in a culture where there are 330 million and more gods and goddesses. And so it's important to realize that Christianity, that being a believer in, in the Holy Bible and being a believer in Jesus as Messiah puts us into a category of monotheistic believers. We believe there is only one God. And Joshua 
was not shy whenever he encouraged people to choose who you're going to believe. You know, God is not afraid of you making a choice. In fact, he wants you to choose. The book of Revelation said that he would rather us be hot or cold and not just lukewarm. That's why Joshua said in Joshua 24, in verse 15, he said, if Baal is God, if you believe Baal is God, serve him. If you believe the gods of your fathers that your fathers served on the other side of the Jordan, you believe that you know, those gods are gods, serve them. You know, just make a choice. Just decide. He said, but as for me and my house, we will serve Jehovah. Jehovah is God. As for me and my house, I have made my decision. And in order to be a believer in Jesus Christ as Messiah, this demands that we not embrace other gods, that we not embrace some humanistic, you know, uh, uh, all roads lead to heaven kind of ideology. That's not true. There is one God. His name is Jehovah. Block two tells us that this one God, he created the heavens and he fashioned the earth by his word. God spoke the heavens and earth into order. And he made them, the Bible says, from things which if we were to have been there observing this, we would have seen that he made things from things which did not appear. He made it as it would appear to us from nothing. He framed the world by his words. Block number three taught us that God made man in his image and like him, one man in three parts. He formed our body of the dust of the ground. He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. There is the spirit, the soul, and the body. One man, three parts. Genesis 2, 7 rightly describes that as 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, tells us that it, it's God's hope that our whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus. It's so important that we believe that we are like God. And being created like God, we will exist forever. You will exist forever, forever, forever. The only question is, where? Where will you spend eternity? Block number four told us about sin and how sin separates Excuse me, that's block five. Block number four taught us about sin and how to disobey God is sin. And all have sinned. Sin brings separation. It's so important to realize that when the seeds of sin are sown in our life, they are designed to separate us. That's what sin tries to do. As we learn about sin, why did the devil choose to tempt Eve to sin whenever he could have done anything because he knew sin would separate? He knew to disobey God would separate. Number one, it would separate people from people. We are separated from others because of sin. Someone is disobeying God. We are separated not only from others, but we are separated from God because sin separates man from God. That's what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. The first thing they did was recognize that they needed to put on fig leaves to hide from one another. They were separated from one another. Then they, they, uh, they, hide, they, they hid from God in the cool of the evening. It's separated from God. Then God removed them from the garden. He drove them out of the garden. Sin, number three, separates us from the blessing 
blessings of God in this life and what God intended for us in this life. And number four, sin separated mankind from eternity, from an eternal life with God Almighty. You see, sin separates. To disobey God is sin. All have sinned. Everyone has sinned. And sin separates. Block number five taught us that sin requires death. We learned about sacrifice in block number five, how that God would only accept the pure blood of a sinless sacrifice as payment for the debt of sin. The blood of bulls and of goats were never meant to take away sin. They only worked temporarily so that every year they would have to be offered again and again and again. But they could never cleanse someone for eternal eternity. They could never deal with the damning power of sin. They could only deal with the temporary power of sin, not the eternal power of sin. And so God needed, as was required, blood to purify the dead of sin, to cleanse us from sin. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son as a sinless, pure lamb sacrificial lamb who willingly gave his life's blood to cleanse the eternity, the, the eternal stain of sin. And that brings us tonight. God has this gift in his hand. He has a gift of salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But block number five left us with a crucified Savior with someone who had given his life on the cross of Calvary for us. But even that was not the fulfillment of God's plan. So tonight, block six, we're going to talk about resurrection. You see, resurrection is God's seal and heaven's sign that Jesus is Messiah. And tonight, I hope that we can learn that God planned, God before the foundation of the world, the Bible says Christ was crucified. But God also planned the resurrection. He planned that Jesus might defeat the devil and the greatest power the devil had. The greatest power in the devil's arsenal was the power to keep you in bondage all of your life by the fear of death. We're going to be going to Hebrews, the second chapter, as we learn tonight that God had a plan. You know, God was not just winging this, by the way. God had a plan. And so secret was the plan. And God was so strategic with his plan. And so secret was and is his plan that many of the tenants were not even known fully to Jesus the Son of God. Jesus recording that when asked, you know, when are you returning? He said, well, you know, uh, God has even reserved that to the Father. Only the Father knows that, not even the Son. And Jesus had to go to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane to ask, do you want me to get on this cross or not? Is there some other way or not? You see, God had a plan. And it was very secret and very strategic. The book of Revelation is written, if you read it, revealing to the servants of Jesus 
the revelation that he had received from his father of things which must shortly come to pass. You see, God's plan and much of God's plan in your life is still a secret. Much of God's plan for the earth, he's still holding in his strictest of confidence because he is that well thought out, that protective and that strategic. Hebrews 2, verse number 9. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You see, this was God's design. This was a part of God's plan, that God would subjugate his son, would, would lower his son to a place just below, a little lower, and for a short time, a little less than and lower than the state and the, the station of angels, so that he might experience death like man was destined to experience death so that he, being the Son of God, might yet find himself able to die like a man and thereby taste death for all mankind. What a plan. Verse number 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, the fear, the imposing fear of the death to come of an eternal separation from God would hold men captive all of their lives and Satan laid claim on death. It belonged to him. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, in his strategy of how he's going to manipulate all the things and orchestrate and make all things work together, looked far through the ages and decided that there must be a perfect sacrifice. But the only perfect sacrifice that would be acceptable was of his own son. How could his own son taste death for it is not in God to die so God willingly subjected his son to become like man and to take upon himself flesh and blood and the word John the first chapter says took upon flesh and we beheld his image as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of the glory of God. Yet in likeness as a man, he came in likeness of sinful man, made a little lower, made, her, made able, made with the attributes of man. You see, Jesus was not created. Jesus was not made. Jesus was not born unable to sin. He was not born unable to die. He was born able not to sin. He was born able not to die. 
he could have called 10,000 angels and they would have relieved him of the pain of death. But he subjected himself willingly to the Father's plan, still not knowing everything, but yet knowing what God had revealed to him, that he must enter into death. For only standing toe to toe, face to face, with the one who owned death, could he deliver the final blow and be victorious. Only in death could he conquer death. Only going down into death, the only way to conquer death was to stand toe to toe with the devil who had the power of death. He did not have the power of death over God. He did not have the power of death over Jesus. He only had the power of death over the souls of men who were born in sin. Jesus being born of a virgin, son of God and son of man, willingly entered in to the death as a man. Going down into death so he could stand toe to toe with the one who had the power of death and deliver the knockout blow. That's why today he has the keys of death and hell. Resurrection was God's sign, God's seal that Jesus is Messiah. You see, to be resurrected from the dead, you must first be dead. It was necessary that Jesus go down into death to defeat the one who held the power of death. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 read like this. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and... Not only did he nail our sin to the cross, nailed the law to the cross. Not only did he blot out all of, of the laws that would have judged us guilty and nail them in his own body. He took upon himself the sins of mankind. He himself sinless, tempted in every manner like as we are, yet without sin. Himself sinless, but taking upon himself your sin and my sin and taking it on and nailing it to the cross, blotting out the ordinances, all the handwriting, all of the legal claim and accusations against us. But not only that, verse 15 says he took another step beyond the cross and beyond his death, beyond his payment, beyond his blood sacrifice as payment and satisfaction for our sin. He also, in verse 15, spoiled principalities and powers. And he made a show of them openly, and he triumphed over them in it. He made a show. He spoiled them. 
all of their designs and all of their desires, all of their hopes that they now, that this devil now laid claim to the soul of the Son of God. He now had a ransom in his hand. He now had a card. He felt a trump card he could play and perhaps make God bow his knee, make his son suffer, and now he lays claim to him for he died for sin and tasted death for sin. He took my place. He tasted death for me. Satan thought he had him. But Jesus, according to the strategic plan of God, not only took upon himself the sins of the world, but he himself remained sinless. So while he carried my sins to death, yet in his own life, he held the only key of life that ever entered into death. He was the only one that could enter into that death, into that sinful, sin-filled payment for every life. He's the only one that could enter in with a right to come back out when he got ready. And he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. He took the keys of death and hell and he led captivity captive. And when he got ready, he bruised the serpent's head and rose to life again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Resurrection was God's seal that this is my son. Messiah of the world, Savior of all mankind. He paid the debt and he lives forevermore. And he has the keys of death and hell. He entered into death for only in death could life destroy death. Our important points for tonight. Number one. From tonight, I trust we remember that Christ died on the cross of Calvary with and for our sin. He died on the cross of Calvary with my sin, and he died for my sin. He died in my place, and he took my sin into death. He tasted death for me. His body was laid in a tomb, and that tomb was sealed and guarded for fear that the prophecies would come to pass. The Roman government stationed guards there. Death laid claim on Christ. But that was not the end of the story. Number two, remember this. God had a plan. He had a plan all along to get his son into death. To get his son down into death to get this perfect sacrifice down into death. Locked in with all sin and the devil. God had a plan. Number three, don't forget that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. 
He made a show of them openly. He defeated the devil. He took the keys of death and hell. And when he had conquered sin, death, and hell, and the grave, he came to life. Number four, Jesus was raised to life again on the third day. Don't forget that. You see, because his resurrection, the Bible says if if the resurrection is not true, if Christ was not raised, then your faith is vain. It was all a part of God's plan. And number five, the resurrection of Jesus is God's seal, heaven's sign, and man's hope that death will have no victory. How do you know that you're saved? How do you know for certain if you died, you'd go to heaven? Pray this prayer with me and you can know that if you died, you'd go to heaven. Lord Jesus, I realize that I've sinned against you, but I'm willing to repent. I choose to turn away from being a sinner. And right this moment, I open the door of my heart and I take you, Lord Jesus, into my heart, into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart and saving me today. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we want to help you get started in your Christian life. I would like to send you a letter. We'll send you some other information so that you will be able to grow as a Christian and learn how to share Christ with others. Remember the three R's, realize, repent, and receive. Please contact us by writing to us, calling us, or emailing us so that we'll be able to communicate with you and have a relationship with you. Find a real Bible-believing, worshiping church. Unite with that church so you'll have a pastor. But stay in contact with us so we'll be able to help you along in your Christian life. Remember, call us, email us, or write to us so we can help you get started in your Christian life. God has great things for you.